Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is Ryan Cabrera, and I am here in studio with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Hello, shalom, shalom, everyone. Man, I'll tell you what, we have made it through the sin of the spies, we have made it through the uh, sin of and rebellion of Korah, and now we are into Chukah, or decree, which is the Torah portion for this week, which can be found in Numbers chapter 19 and verse 1, through chapter 22 and verse 1. We've got some interesting stuff in here. Uh, I say we kick it off. What you got for us? Oh, this is going to be very, very good. You know, it's interesting... Once you get into the trouble um, and you get through some of the uh, challenging circumstances of the people, uh, God continues to feed them the ceremonial law and the, the process by which he wants them to live uh, because he changes not. So I think it's interesting uh, in that regard uh, once again. So we're going to be getting into uh, the ashes of the red heifer. Um and so what were the ashes of the red heifer used for in Numbers chapter 19, verses 2 through 10? They were to purify someone of uncleanness. Once again, we're talking about the ceremonial law, that this is a process. So think about the principle behind the process. You know, we no longer have the ashes of the red heifer. And I know that the, uh, the Jewish people today among uh, the elect priesthood, I believe, is that they're trying to, at this point, raise up a solid colored red heifer for the ashes of the red heifer that's going to be needed for the temple. Uh, that's a whole nother story in and of itself, but we're going to move on here. Uh, in Numbers chapter 19, 4, Ryan's going to read. All right, here we go. And Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And so who is the father of Eliezer? Aaron. Aaron. And who's going to be the son that's going to be coming up of Eliezer? Mm. Phineas. Pincus. Pincus. Phineas Pincus. So once again, we're, we're in a ceremonial part of the law here. Uh, question number three, what three things were added while burning of the red heifer uh, as it took place? Numbers 19.6. This is going to be uh, cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. Cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. Interesting. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar, uh, actually cedarwood and hyssop can come in the form of aromatherapy or oils. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, the scarlet. But it's interesting that if you combine cedar wood and hyssop together as aromatherapy, just like lavender is aromatherapy. Lavender is a calming effect. We all need it for our kids. Put it on their pillows. Put it on their chest. Uh, lavender is a calming effect. And, and so, you know, uh, but cedar wood and hyssop together, Ryan, actually calms the mind, clears the mind. It's very interesting. If you ever put it in a diffuser, uh, this is not new age, folks. This is the real deal. Smelling is the highest form of learning. Right. So when you approach the temple or even the tabernacle, you would, you would smell certain things. You know, even in the temple, uh, they would smell the cedar because of the beams that were right. found in the temple. The cedar beams. Cedar, cedar wood and hyssop. Hyssop is very expensive. Uh, we know in the scripture it says what? Cleanse me with hyssop. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting about the cleansing through the ashes of the red heifer. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of commentary that talks about being symbolic of Yeshua, uh, but also this this cleansing was a specific cleansing, right? Like if you were to eat something unclean 
on accident or you were to uh, touch a, you know, a dead body or something. There's, there's certain specific ways that have already been given throughout the Torah for the, the becoming clean, right? So you would, uh, you have to wait till evening and then you'd wash yourself, go see the priest, you know, so on and so forth. But this is specifically for uh, the uncleanness caused by sin. And so this was a, a way of becoming uh, clean from uh, uncleanness of sin, not just of you know ceremonial uncleanness or something right, like that. Right, it's a whole process, and you're going to see even even certain things here. So was the priest who burnt the red heifer considered to be unclean until the evening? Yes. So even the people helping these people get clean become unclean. So the one who burnt the red heifer was considered to be unclean until evening, and that's Numbers 19.8. Uh, was the priest who gathered the ashes of the red heifer unclean until evening? Yes. Numbers 19.10, the answer is yes. So, how long was a person unclean after he had touched a dead body? Uh, seven days, a whole cycle. Numbers 19.11. Seven days, a, a complete cycle. Seven days. Just like we have seven days of creation, seven days of unleavened bread. We have the uh, seven uh, churches in Revelation. Um, number seven. If a person touched a dead body and was not purified... What was the punishment in Numbers 19.13? The punishment was that they that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Now, the cut off from Israel thing, I was asking about this last night at Torah study, and I was pondering it because I went back when I was reading through our, our notes, and you know, if a person touched a dead body and was not purified, right? So there's a, a specific way that you go and you become clean again that's already laid out. It's very simple. And then... Uh, that soul should be cut off. Well, they're cut off until what? Until they go back through the process of being purified. So somebody that's cut off from Israel may not necessarily be cut off from Israel forever. Right. They've got to follow the, the, the procedure. Policies it's just like, look, if you're going to refuse to take the steps to get cleaned up, then you have to get outside the camp. Just like there's policies and procedures for TSA, which you'll be experiencing. Right? I, I will. At Today I will be going to... And we don't want to buck the, the system. I've applied for TSA pre-check. I'm excited. Now... Question number eight in Numbers 19.18, were personal possessions to be made clean if a dead body contaminated them? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So once again, this uncleanness is spreading. Very interesting, trying to contain it because it's contaminating. Uh, now we're going to switch gears here. You know, the ashes of the whatever is very interesting. Uh, once again, it's still kind of mysterious, but once again, it's part of the ceremonial law. And uh, we can learn a lot from that. Uh now, question number nine, who died in the desert of Zen in the first month? Numbers 20, verse 1. Uh, this is going to be Miriam, the sister of Moses. So Miriam, the sister of Moses, and um, there's an example found in Exodus of the ages of, and I don't have it with me, Aaron and Moses, and it shows that um, Aaron is older than Moses. And so if that's the case, then we could deduct that Miriam is the firstborn. Uh, notice that Miriam was the one who saw little Moshe going down the river to make sure that he was safe. So I was just was thinking a, about that. I mean, this she is, was a good sister. It was. It was a long, long life. I mean, a lot of a lot of things in the Bible happen, you know, centered around her, or that she was a part of, I should say. Interesting. So Miriam was the sister of Moses, and she passed away in the desert of Zin in the first month. Remember, Michael uh, Cromwell brought out in the first month, meaning that. We're going to have about a year here before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Right. That's right. Because this is in the first month she passes away. So they're still on the, uh, you know, making their way towards the, uh, towards the promised land. Uh, switching gears here all of a sudden now, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a problem here. What were the people lacking when they came against Moses and Aaron? 
Numbers 20, verse 2. That question should end with again when they came against Moses and Aaron. Again. And the answer is water. So they were lacking water this time around. Yes, it was water. And so with these complaints and with this situation, what did Moses and Aaron do after hearing the people's complaint in Numbers 20, verse 6? They did what they do best. They went to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they fell upon their faces. They interceded for the people again. You know, it's interesting uh, being a pastor and everything. You know, you can't please everyone. It's, it's tough. It's hard. You, you want to. You want people to be happy. But it is. It's, it's a real battle in a lot of ways. Even when you're married and have children, you know, it's not, it's not easy to please your wife and your kids all the time. And everyone's happy. You know, somebody's going to be disgruntled. Someone's going to be felt left out or, or something. And so, uh, you know, intercession is really good. It kind of blankets everything. Just, just intercede and pray for the congregation or for my family, my kids. So uh, I'm learning to do that. And so let's look at uh, question number 12. Uh, here we go. Now that the people need water, the Lord's going to respond. Uh, Moses was told to speak to the rock in order to get water for the children of Israel. But what did he do? Numbers twenty eleven. And Numbers twenty eleven, um, he I have a different. Uh, he smote the rock twice. He did. He smote the rock twice. Um, but his his job was to speak to the rock, and instead he struck the rock. Right. Yeah. He he struck the rock. He was supposed to speak to it. So anyway, um, you know, that's, that's the thing. Um, simple instructions. But, you know, here's the, here's the result. Here's the result. Question number 13. What was his punishment along with Aaron for striking the rock? Oh, tough punishment. They would not bring the children of Israel into the land. They would not bring the children of Israel into the land. So he's come all this way. You know, he went and, 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 and by God's direction brought the people out of Egypt. He brought them through the wilderness for, you know, at this point, 39 years. And then blows You know, my, my, my thing is, you know, he was called to be the deliverer. Amen. Do we just assume that he was going to take them into the promised land? Right. Yep. Did he just assume, hey, we're going to the promised land? Well, I think that we're hoping that he's right. going to get that as a reward. Right? I know. It's interesting in my own personal observation and study, you know, I, I need to find it. If someone would like to email me or show me some verses where he was meant to take them into the promised land, called to take them into the promised land from the voice of the Lord or the command of the Lord, I, I would love to see that. But I know that he was sent to set the people free, right. to, to confront Pharaoh, let my people go, and to, of course, lead them uh, perhaps to the promised land, like right up to the gate. You sure. know? So something to think about, um, like I said, and uh, what was the name given to the water that came from the rock? Numbers 20, verse 13. Meribah, which means strife. So this is a tough road. You know, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, you know, being a leader, you know, I mean, Moses struck the rock twice. I always say I would have struck the rock, kicked the rock, spit on the rock, and then hit it again. <laughs> but, you know, you, you could see yourself through the picture of the story, though. You could actually see where, hey, I could do this. You know, we're not above reproach. And so, once again, you know, he is the God... Uh, uh, of new mercies every day. Yeah, no, day it is funny when grace. we read these stories and we pick on them, like, you know, we judge but them. But yet, let's put the camera on us. Right. Well, Let, we, you Let's know, they, play it back that to, to Moses. I've heard it said that we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Probably. I mean, it's not It's not a good thing. <clears throat> it's not. So, you know, it's interesting that, that this is going to happen now uh, because they're in the middle of a journey. They're having circumstances. So in question number 15, did Moses and the people go through the land of Edom? Numbers 20, verse 21. They did not, um, because Edom refused to give Israel passage. And that's, and that's why. Yeah. So, they did not go through the land of Edom, where we get, what, the Edomites, correct? 
We get the Edomites. Which the Edomites are descendants of Esau, That's right, descendants of Esau. So they're related. So God didn't want a family feud. And who was a famous Edomian? King Herod. He uh, wiped out the Hasmonean dynasty, the very ones that brought restoration in the Hanukkah story, the Maccabees. Yikes. He actually uh, finished off the Hasmonean line and killed them. Uh, It's sad, you know. And once again, a new chapter, a new chapter. So now we're moving on here. uh, And... and we're going to have a death in Numbers chapter 20, verses 25 and 26. If you would like to read that, Ryan, uh, we're going to see a death here in Numbers chapter 20, you know, verses 25 and 26. I feel like 26. this is too much death in this Torah portion. Here we go. Let's do 25 and 26 of chapter 20. It says, um, or maybe we can start at, here, I'll start at 22. It says, And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed, from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Go ahead and read verses 28 and 29. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there at the top of the mount, and Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned after Aaron thirty days, even all of the house of Israel. Wow. So who's the successor? Eleazar. Eliezer is the successor. So Eliezer becomes the high priest. Very, very interesting, you know. And of course, we know that uh, he died on Mount Hor, and uh, there's Aaron's death. The middle child has finally succumbed to his last days, and so very interesting. Um, Now, how many days did they mourn for Aaron? 30 days. That's Numbers 20, verse 29. And uh, once again, remember that Aaron was a middle child. He was the one that was responsible for the golden calf. Mm. Remember? Hey, I threw this in and this came out. And so it's interesting how we all have like near-death experiences or, or you know, we get a second chance. We, we all can say that that are listening to the podcast because if you're not listening to the podcast and you're not alive, then you've been taken by the Lord. But, you know, every day is a gift, Ryan. And so as we think about our inheritance and the future of the commonwealth of Israel— I think every day is important. Well, I think what we do will, will actually determine our inheritance. And this is kind of sad. I mean, think about it. We've been we've been um, we've been dealing with uh, Miriam and with Aaron in the story all the way through the book of Exodus, all the way through the book of Leviticus, and then almost all the way through the book of Numbers. You know, and now now just one day, boom. You know, that's there's it. Some, you know, their mission we're, we're, is over. But here's the thing, though, when. When somebody dies, something lives. That's right. Amen. Something is birthed. And when someone leaves the table, someone else can come to I'm the table. I'm telling you. And so we're seeing some very, very interesting dynamics in this. And uh, just a reminder as well, you know, uh, we're going to be looking on the east side of the uh, Jordan River here along the uh, coastline there. What was the name of the king who was a Canaanite in Numbers 21, verse 1? This is going to be King Arad. King Arad, right? So here we go. Here comes the enemy. And so what did this Canaanite king do to Israel in Numbers 21 in verse 1? Well, it says here that uh, he dwelt in the south and heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So there's a little battle going on here. Yeah. And they took some of them prisoners. You know, they're not really experienced in war or anything. 
So they had to have the favor of the Lord. That's and, for sure. And the, that's the way care, I feel. And he doesn't care that Aaron just died. You know, I, mean, I need just the favor like of the Lord. Attacking them when they're oh, down. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And here's a, a new, new command here. Uh, question number twenty: How did Israel respond toward their enemy and their cities? In Numbers chapter twenty-one, in verse three. Da, they utterly destroyed them and the cities. Wow, they utterly destroyed them and their cities. No, no. They utterly destroyed them and their cities. He's just a Canaanite, right? He's not He's not a giant yet, but we're going to get into that. So what did the children of Israel do after leaving Mount Hor? Numbers 21, verse 5. Uh, well, let's just say they spoke again against God and Moses. So now it's heating up. I want you guys to see this picture, everyone. This is a year before they go into the promised land, and things are intensifying. Right. I mean, things are getting fired up here. I mean, some of you can testify that have been in the Hebrews of the Christian faith for some time, or even looking at our culture today, or the times in which we live. I think there's a Chinese proverb that says, may you live in interesting times. Well, and these people, we do. if you think about it, they came, you know, they came out of Egypt, and they're now dealing with their mortality, because... God said, you're, you're going to die in the wilderness. But the problem is they're only a year out. Right. Well, they're exa- my point exactly. So these people are dying. I mean, they're dying off. They're looking around and they're seeing people. And so the, the cry that they say is they say, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. So, I mean, they're, they're talking against God and Moses because of the fact that their own sin is now coming, you know, come that the, the punishment or the consequence of their sin has now come. So full let's circle. think about coming against leadership, murmuring, complaining. Let's let's think about this. What did God send among the people? What did God send among the people? He sent fiery serpents. Um, and what happened to them? And uh, they were bit by fiery serpents, and much people in Israel died. Let's just call fiery this what serpents. it is. This is maybe this is this is the Ryan Cabrera version of the Bible. But I mean, fiery serpents to me, I hear dragons. I don't know about you, but it sounds like dragons to me. A fiery serpent. You, but the thing is, though, Ryan, you know, some of the Jewish sages would say that the fiery serpents were always around the children of Israel, but they were protected. Mm. So the hedge of protection came down. Right. You know, think about that, everyone. Now, did the people repent to Moses in Numbers 21.7? Yeah, well, that when you get bit by dragons. I'm telling you, <laughs> you know? I mean, fiery serpents, you know, and many, many people died. Yeah, no, it's sad. Uh, question number 24 in Numbers 21.9, this is interesting. What did the Lord tell Moses to make in order that the people who were bitten could be healed? He made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, which is, you know, really today's uh, medical symbol, right? The serpent on the pole. That's where it comes from. Very interesting. The uh, medical symbol today. Question number 25. Did the people who were bitten have to look upon the serpent of brass to live in Numbers 21.9? They did. So it was a reminder for them. So once again, what is brass symbolic of? Mm, I don't know. What is brass Brass symbolic is of? symbolic of judgment. So when you think about brass, think about judgment. Is that like when they say when the heavens are made of brass? You know, I tell you what, it won't be good. No. You know, but but brass is there. And so as we reflect on Yeshua in this particular portion, we can go to John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And I'm going to read that. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right. Wow. 
you know, what do we really have to complain about if we have eternal life right now? That's what I'm thinking. If I'm seeing Yeshua, I'm lifting him up. You know, he's done the work. We are justified by the finished work of the cross. What an awesome thing to have is to have eternal life and to be mind, mindful of that, eternally minded. So here we are. Now, all of a sudden, they've learned their lesson. We move on. There's a new battle. You're either fighting yourself and others, or you're fighting the enemy, yeah. right? So here we go. We're after the enemy. And we're not supposed to what? To battle against or fight against flesh and blood. Numbers chapter 21, verse 23. Here's question number 26. Did Sihon, king of the Amorites, allow the children of Israel to pass through his country peacefully? Nope. He did not. No, uh, no he did not. It says he would not suffer Israel to pass through his border, but Sihon... Uh, gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness, and he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. That's interesting. That's interesting. Which is which is a pain, right? Because it's like, you know, wh- why do these these guys, knowing that the Lord is with them at this point, come out against them uh, instead of just letting them pass, especially since they're just wanting to pass through? You know, although I guess if, you know, two and a half million people are trying to pass through, you don't know, like, are these people actually just going to pass through or are they going to, you know, I mean, I I think that you can, can uh, somehow see what their perspective is. King of Bashan. Interesting. So who, so after the next king was defeated. So after defeating the king of Bashan, where did Israel camp? Uh, They king, they, uh, so in 22 verse one. It says they camped in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. Ryan, if you could find it for me, look for the, the, the reference to a giant, that they fight a giant on the east side. Uh, okay, yeah, I can find let's, it. Let's find that, giants on the east side. So uh, the, I want to make a point. Og, the king of Bashan. Is he a, is he a giant? Eh, Does he give the measurements of his bed or something? I don't know. Villages of the Amorites. Very the interesting. The Amorites and the Kamarists escaped. Uh, interesting. I know there's giants on the east side. East side? On the east side. But what I want to share is this with everyone. You know, we got to slay the giants on this side of the Jordan River. Why do I say that? Because... If David killed the lion and the bear, God was preparing that little shepherd boy for Goliath, you know? And when, when his day came, he had, knew, he had known that he had proven himself. He, he killed the lion and the bear, and now he's going to slay the giant. And this is going to lead us to an interesting point uh, as far as the, uh, the current culture that we currently live in. Um, you know, as we begin to look at this third part of the book of Numbers, and just to let everybody know, the book of Numbers is broken up into three parts. Part number one is at Sinai. This is the preparation for the journey. This takes place within a few weeks at Mount Sinai. Okay, This is all about the preparation. A few weeks at Mount Sinai. Uh, here we go. It's chapters 1 through 9. Part 1 of Numbers. Now, Ryan, part 2 of the book of Numbers begins in chapter 10, verse 11, all the way through chapter 21 in verse 4. 21 in verse 4. This is to Moab. This is the journey. And this took about 39 years. Okay. 39 years. Sinai to Kadesh, uh, the desert wanderings, and then Kadesh to the land of Moab. Uh, And of course, what's significant is, of course, being at what? 
Mount Hor at the conclusion of these 39 years. Because remember, it was in the first of the month that Miriam died. That's part two. Now, part three is very interesting. This is at Moab. This is at the gate to the land. Think about a gate, Ryan. Here's the gate to the promised land. This is the opening. This is the opportunity. This is the chapter. This is the season at the gate to the land. We have new problems, final preparations, and of course, concluding tasks. And this takes place within a few months. And then, of course, we have Mount Nebo. Now, this particular third part of the story, which is the conclusion of the matter, is in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 2, takes us all the way to chapter 36. So, what's interesting, if you stop and look at this particular portion, this is Numbers chapter 19 and verse 1, all the way through chapter 22 in verse 1. We are concluding 39 years wandering in the wilderness, Ryan. And look what we have here. Now, all of a sudden, we have Balak. Numbers chapter 22, verse 2, all the way through chapter 25 and verse 9. Okay? But they're at the gate to the land. What, what are the great possibilities? So what two things are they going to face before going into the promised land? Just like today's relevant situation in the current culture. Right. All right. So I got. What is it going to be before you tell me about the giants? Oh, they're going to face uh, the occult and right. sexual immorality. They're going to face the occult and sexual immorality. Correct. Uh, Balaam is a diviner. He's, a, he's he's in a divination. The rewards of divination are in his hand. He's a false prophet for profit. Right. So once again, like I said, you know. Well, and that's a, you know it's we so got to fight on this side of the Jordan. You know, we're in Brandon, Baked to Hill Community Church, right here is in Brandon. Well, and what's and funny is is the, the enemy is going to attack us from whichever angle it is that he can use to get to us. So if it's for lack of food and attacking our faith in God and his provision, that's that's the, the lack side. But then once we get to the point where, hey, we're about to go into the land and we start to get cocky, then he starts to use pride against us and then he starts bringing the occult and sexual immorality into the, into the picture. It, it, it is interesting. Yeah. So He's crafty, man. All right, so I got some information on giants. Are you ready? You ready for Let's this? Let's hear it. Okay, so you were absolutely correct. Og, the king of Bashan, is a giant. However, it is not in this Torah portion. So Og, king of Bashan, was defeated in this Torah portion. But if you flip over and we look at uh, the conquest of Og, king of Bashan, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, uh, it does say this in, uh, in verses 10 and 11. It says, All the cities of the plain, uh, and all Gilead, and all Bashan, unto Salcha and Arita, the cities in the kingdom of Og, uh, in Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It is not a rabbath of the children of Ammon. Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits was the breadth thereof, after the cubit of a man. So, we're talking about Og, the king Nephilim. of Bashan, and Og is a giant. That's right. We're dealing with the Nephilim, folks. Uh, so, once again, you know, it's all relevant. You know, if you're in, involved in the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith, if you love Yeshua, it's time for us to grow up, be mature, and be responsible. It's time to, to, to begin to look up. Our redemption draweth nigh. The opportunities that the Father has given Beit is incredible. And so we want to thank him for that. We want to thank all of you for being listeners, and we love your feedback. And we just want to encourage you uh, in the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. You know, I challenged uh, our people last Monday in regards to, as far as the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith, where do you want Hebrew roots to take you? Where is your destination? It's all about the journey, but what is your destination? What do you want to see that lines up with the kingdom of God? 
Where is Hebrew Roots taking you personally? Yeah. Good gut check. It is. It is. And if I were to answer that for myself, you know, my first answer is uh, to Yeshua, um, that I want a, a deeper and richer relationship with him. I want to uh, know him through living the way that he lived and doing the things that he did and get an insight more into his character and the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and then on top of that, I want to mature in my faith. And I believe that uh, through the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith that we can learn uh, good principles in order to mature in our faith. And I think that, that if that's not our goal and our goal is not Yeshua and that he's not the center focus of everything that we're doing, then then we've lost sight of, of what we're doing. You so. know, it, it, you just can't make this stuff up. You know, I want to put a little plug out there for those of you that are listening real quickly here. Um, Joseph Farah is the uh, founder of WND, uh, worldnetdaily.com. And it's a news organization that's Christian, and it's been around for over 20 years. But Joseph Farah has a book out called The Restitution of All Things. And I find that book very interesting in the fact that I've just finished it. I think it's great. But once again, he has one of the largest news websites in the world. And WND.com, you can check it out for yourself. But he is the author of a book called The Restitution of All Things. And it really is challenging the status quo, Ryan. It's the restitution of all things means the restoration of all things. And so it's a very positive book in, in the light of, you know, where we've gone wrong or, or where history has played a role. But the bottom line is that you're going to leave this book feeling really good and encouraged, uh, especially with the thousand year reign of Messiah when he comes. And he brings out a lot of good points about the Torah relevant for today, uh, teachings and instructions, wasn't nailed to the cross. He mentions about the Shabbat and how it was taken away. It's still one of the commandments. It's never been done away with, but he brings out a lot of good points. Uh, he's of Syrian descent. He's an, he's an Arab Christian, basically. And uh, what, a, what an awesome man uh, to put out a book like this. And it, it's going to hit mainstream, you know, mainstream media. This thing's going to hit. I uh, highly recommend the book and, and encourage you to give it to pastors or to your church friends. Uh, but it's very eye-opening, Ryan. So that's my little plug. And and also, uh, it's kind of interesting how the Father works at Bait to Heal. And never a dull moment. Uh, next Monday, we're having Avi Lipkin come to share. Uh, and we're excited about that because that particular Monday night, we usually talk about the Torah portion. We're going to be talking about Balak. But because we have a guest, he's going to be sharing about the Bible block party and what's going on in Israel. So once again, just uh, keep Avi Lipkin in your prayers as well. His son is Aaron Lipkin with Lipkin Tours, and that is the company that we use for our tour to Israel, Lipkin Tours. So once again, keep the Lipkin fa uh, family in, in your prayers, and uh, we are so blessed to know them. And once again, uh, we just want to say to all of you, uh, Shalom. Hope you have an awesome day, and enjoy this week. Amen. All right, you guys know if you want to reach out to us, you can go online to topraise.net and use the Contact Us tab, or you can email me directly at ryan at topraise.net. You can call the office, 813-654-2222. And then, uh, as always, you can live stream our services on our website at topraise.net every Saturday at 11 a.m. So God bless you guys, and have a great week.